We uh, had a chance to have Max Sports yesterday, and y'all know we are in the soccer season, and it's been uh, it's been pretty cool uh, continuing to coach coach the kids, and we have a lot of families that get blessed by the Max Sports time, um, and I'm blessed to coach the younger kids. I get the the four and five year olds, so we are working on the basics. Four and five year olds, we're just working with like the the basics of soccer. We're trying to learn, like, don't kick the ball out the line, you know. Don't touch the ball with your hands. Put the ball in your goal. Don't put the ball in their goal. You know, we are, we are, we're on the basics, all right? And, and those basics, though, I've seen, now that I've been coaching for about six years, I've seen that those basics then get built upon as children move to each level with soccer and if you don't have the basics it's going to be tough to be a good soccer player your elders have been wrestling through the same thing as we think about the spiritual life here at MacAff. we've been saying hey like there's some foundational aspects of what it means to love God and to know God and we want to make sure that our entire family have those basics and so our series that we're going to be covering over the next months is the foundations of the faith. What do you need as a, as a firm foundation to be able to have a life in Christ that is thriving? Or to at least be able to make a decision because some of you present may not know or like or love Jesus. But you will be informed and understand what the Christian approach is to God and then can say, and I want to submit to that. Or my hope is that you wouldn't say, or I choose not to submit to that. Because our desire is that in understanding who God is, you would fall in love with him and want to live for him. So if we're going to go through the foundations of the faith, we got to start with the first question. First question, who is God? We're going to keep it simple. We're going to go with who is God to kick off our foundation. And, and my boy Corey is ready to answer. Come on up here and preach the sermon. Corey, ready. I love it. We're going to look at that through three ways today. We're going to look at the nature of God, the works of God, and the character of God. The nature of God, the works of God, and the character of God. And if we are going to start with our first question, we should start with the beginning. Look with me at Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. That's the first book of the Bible. Open up and Right after you go past the table of contents, that's where we start. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And it reads, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. A lot is said in this first sentence, but let's start with the name used because a name can tell you a good deal about something. Many of you know me as Pastor Leon, but my full name is Leon Stevenson III. And that suffix on the end, the third, lets you know, just even by my very name, that there were two Leons that preceded me. And in, in our English language, we tend to translate some words in ways that other cultures may not, but it's evident in our, in our first look at this text, in the beginning, God created heavens and the earth. 
but the Bible uses many names for God. Just in the song we just sang, how many names do you think we mentioned for God in that last song? Somebody said 89, yep. <laughs> At least five or six. You know, different ways that God is described by his name. Yahweh. But in this term, in this verse, the name used is a Hebrew name that says Elohim. Now, I got to help you understand language before you understand my first point that helps us understand who God is. In language, English language, we use declension patterns or, or ways that we take nouns and we make them plural. You go from a chip, you add an S, it becomes chips, plural, right? You go from a road, add an S, it becomes roads. Well, in the Hebrew language, one of the ways that you see a word become plural is by adding on the end of it, im. So you might have yeladim means kids or boys. You might have the word klafim means cards. Oh, you had that up there for me, J.D. Yeladim, kids or boys. Klafim means cards. Elohim, gods. Notice it, 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 it's following the similar plural pattern that you would find in other Hebrew language, but, but the sentence itself seems to com- present a problem because it doesn't say, in the beginning, gods created the heavens and the earth. Verse 1 says, in the beginning, God. Why is that? A brother named Nabil Qureshi, a member of uh, Robbie Zacharias International Ministry, he explains it this. He says, hey, the reason why we do not translate God in the plural is because the verb in the sentence is singular. The word Elohim is plural, but the verse treats it as a singular noun. So in the very first verse of the Bible, we see that God is in some sense plural, but in another sense singular. This fits the motto of the Trinity perfectly, that God in one sense is plural and in terms of his persons in another sense is singular. You got this interesting mix of God seeming like he's many because the word Elohim means God's. But in the sentence, it simply says one God. Are you confused? Let me let me further your confusion. Look with me. Genesis chapter one. Stay there. Go down to verse 26. Verse 26. Same chapter, just 26 verses later says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds and over the heavens, over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Why would God refer to himself in a plural form? This is this is God communicating with himself. And we know we have places where people end up going in our world when you start talking to yourself in the plural. Yeah, Leon's is going to eat tonight at the restaurant. We have places where those, you know what I'm saying? And so it might seem like something is off here. 
But early on, God is trying to communicate to us this, this beautiful principle of a plural, singular existence that might seem like they're at odds, but there's actually a beautiful harmony. Look at how it's presented again in verse 27, the very next verse. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, singular. Male and female, he created them, plural. So this, this, this first chapter that welcomes you into the theology or the understanding of God is showing you some type of tension that seems to be present. And what is the tension, Pastor? The tension is simply this, that God is three persons, but one God. Look with me in, in Deuteronomy chapter 6. There is a litany of verses throughout the Bible, but Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, you can look at Isaiah 43, 10, 1 Timothy 2, 5 through 6. But Deuteronomy 6, 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. So what God is communicating is that there is one God, three persons. Those three persons are Jesus, the Son, God, the Father, God, the Holy Spirit. All three fully God. All three fully God. But all three are person expressions of one God. You'll never find within the Hebrew text the people of God believing that they were serving or worshiping multiple gods. That Jesus was himself a God separate from the Father who was separate from the Holy Spirit. And there's a weird tension that is, that is walked into from the very first chapter where God is trying to get you to see that this is something that is unique to me. If you want to know who I am, this is going to be different than any other other faiths that you look into. Because other faiths may say there's one God and one God alone, but there is no persons. And other faiths may say there are many gods, but they would never crown one God supreme of all. And it is the Christian faith that is unique that says three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God accompanies each of those personal descriptions because each is fully one, fully God. So if you ask who is God, we first got to start there with understanding this unique yet beautiful welcome into this concept called the Trinity. It's a concept that lets us know that we are created in the image of God, but that God graciously, carefully welcomes us into a conversation he has with himself to say that I'm going to make them look like me. So in order to understand this beautiful God, this holy God, this God of, of three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God, I want to use four descriptions that help break down who God is. Because you gotta, you got to be able to sometimes have an insight into the way a person behaves and the nature of a person. Nature just simply means like, like the essence. 
Essence, like uh, Essence Magazine. It started back in 1970, black magazine, straight to African-American women. Essence Magazine, the, the rooting of it was they wanted to care for black culture. If you take black out of Essence Magazine, I don't, I don't know what you're going to write about in the magazine. Because the, the, a core part of who it is, is, is its blackness. See, the essence and the nature of God, one of the core parts of who he is, if you take away the, the three persons of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, you take away one of those, you don't have God. And that's where we, even as believers, begin to, you want to know how you talk to different faiths? Ask what they do with God. That's how you know clearly if we are talking about things as similar Christians or if we're talking about things with a Christian and someone else who has a different faith. Do you make Jesus a prophet, a good guy, a healer, or is he God? Is the Holy Spirit a a moving wind, a rushing presence, a helpful entity, or is he God? Is the Father Someone who looks out and is sovereign and cares for all things, but is removed and doesn't involve himself in the life of people? Or is he God? See, that's unique to the Christian perspective. But there are four ways I'm going to allow God's word to help us see the beauty of God. The word omni means in Latin all. All right. The word omni means all. So you get, um, you get some words like, like omni, there we go, <laughs> omnidirectional means all directions, you know, like electric, like, like cell phone folks in the electrical world say like they want cell towers to be omnidirectional. No matter where they are, they want your phone to ping it. There's a pharmacy system called Omnicare because they want to have all prescriptions that would care for you. There's omnivore, which means that you'll eat all things, plants, animals, whatever it is. You, you, get, you, get, you get in the concept of omni? Okay. So what we're going to do to understand this God, this beautiful trinity, is to look at four words that describe God. Omnipotent, all-powerful, omnipresent all-knowing, omniscient, excuse me, omniscient, all-knowing, omnipresent in all places or, or everywhere at the same time, and omnibenevolent, all-perfect or all-good. Y'all tracking with me? Okay, all right. Is it, is it hot or is it me in the road? It's hot, okay, okay. Let me hook y'all up then. There we go, all right. So the first one we're going to dive into, and and I'm thankful as I was researching this, I came across an article by a guy named Jay Warner um, that says, what does Christianity say about the nature of God? And he had this list, and I was like, cool, because I was halfway through it, and you finished the list for me, so it's all good. So he has this list, and basically what what I'm going to show you is that there is scripture that would apply to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit under every one of these terms. That, that show you clearly that this is associated with God. 
And when the biblical writers were writing, they were not thinking, okay, only Jesus is going to be all, all good. And only the Father will be all present. And only the Holy Spirit might be all knowing. No, no, all three, all the time. Why? Because it's one God. One God. So omnipotent, all powerful, all, all strength, all of creativity, all ability. Look here where it says uh, in Isaiah 64, 8, but now, O Lord, thou art our father. We are the clay and thou art our potter. And all of us are the work of thy hand, it says of the father. But look at what it says of the spirit. The spirit of God has made me and the breath of the almighty gives, excuse me, gives me life. This is speaking to the power and the ability to to create, to bring things forth. And uh, and God is all powerful. That's that's not always the case when you look at other faiths. And when you want to ask yourself, who is God? You should be able to say he's all powerful. We had a, a, a cool experience because power doesn't just doesn't just like connect to strength and might. Power is also an ability. An ability to do something. And so we were um, in the in the week leading up to this week, we have uh, my sister Milana leading us in worship. And she sent an email out to the worship team. And I asked her if I could share this. So she, she gave me a thumbs up. So she sent the email out to the worship team. And it's, it's always an encouraging email, loving on us and stuff. So this is this is what she said when she got to one one of the sections in our in our worship team. She said, all right, this week, team, we've got the delightfully dulcet tones of Joanne, the heart-healing voice of Tasha, the anxious about time but still somehow always late Milana, <laughs> the, the sick dope lit beats of James and Johnny, and then she ended it with, uh, oh, I, I switched up the order a little bit, but the last one she said was, the multi-musical accoutrement croissants of Mike and Kevin. <laughs> accoutrement croissants. Y'all, y'all don't know how hard I laughed looking at that. But, but, but when I stepped back for a moment, I thought, man, on my best day, being serious, I couldn't have created that. And she probably did it for fun in a second. What flowed out of her was a creative ability to bless us. And I've been so blessed by so many of you as God has given you a creative ability. And God steps back and says, I'm all powerful. I got the creative ability to put you right here at the corner of the Grand Canyon. And you could stand back and be in awe. Or I can have you sit on your porch and a butterfly land on your finger and you be blown away. I'm all powerful God and so omnipotent is who he is but also omniscient he's he's all-knowing look at what it says of the son now we know in in John 16 30 now we know that you know all things and have no need for anyone to question you by this we believe that you came from God or of the Holy Spirit for to us in 1 Corinthians 2.10, it says, for, uh, for to us, God revealed them this, through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. 
I'm sorry, y'all. I, I would have great difficulty with a God who wasn't all knowing. There are some people who believe that God can know the past. He can know the present, but not know the future. That's a that's that's a that's a counselor. I would be really struggling if I came in and God was like, so, Leon, let me ask you why you chose to do the things you did. I want to help you in the future, but, but there's some aspects of your decision-making that I'm not quite... See, what I need, is, I need is a God that can see the future, that knows how crazy I am, and sometimes got to close some doors. Sometimes got to protect me. Sometimes got to sovereignly guide some things so that we as mankind don't destroy the world that he's given us. All-knowing understanding all things omnipotent all power omniscient all knowing omnipresent everywhere at the same time what it says about the father in first kings eight twenty seven. but will god indeed dwell on earth behold heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain thee How much less this house which I have built. He is present no matter where we go. This is a a comforting thing to know that God is with us always. God is with us always. From the heavens to the earth. But it's not only comforting, it's also convicting. Because he sees all. As a parent, sometimes you you get caught guessing. A kid has done something wrong and you're looking at the evidence and there's a high probability that the kid did it. High probability. But you don't know for sure. There might be like that little sliver where maybe the way they saying it did work out. There was a unicorn that ran through the living room. I don't know. Could have been. You know, there's a there's a slim chance. And what what we've done at times is say, okay. I'm going to take your word, but God knows. God, God saw. So if you trick daddy this time, it's cool because God still sees. You see, God is always present. But the reason why this is convicting is because sometimes we as the adults need to know that God is always present. And we probably would live a different lifestyle if we had somebody walking around with us on Facebook Live watching our lives. Because sadly, we might even care a little bit more about what the world would think of us than what God thinks of us. Because he's there. He's there in that argument. He's there when that inappropriate joke is told. He's there when I'm watching what I shouldn't be or should, he's there. And so let his presence be a comfort as well as a conviction of how he calls us and desires us to live. God is omnipotent, all-powerful. He's omniscient, all-knowing. He's omnipresent everywhere at the same time, and he's omnibenevolent. He's all perfect, all good. Whatever your definition of good is, he's the goodest. Don't tell your English teacher I told you that. Yes, he's the goodest. 
He sets the standard of what perfection is. You want to know about love? Look at what love says of the father. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Says of the son, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her of the spirit. Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ in Romans 15, 30 and 31, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Sorry, I was reading with excitement. Those previous addresses was John 3.16 and Ephesians 5.25. God sets the perfect standard for us. While I am thankful for amazing women in our church body and amazing men and amazing mentors I've had throughout my life, none of you are the standard by which I should should set my life. And as your pastor, I am not the standard by which you should set your life. But we have a perfect example, the goodest of the good, who wants to serve as our example. He is omnipresent everywhere at all time, omnipotent, all power, omniscient, all knowing, and omnibenevolent, all perfect. This is our God. But there's also two other ways that I'd love for you to be able to, to, to understand who God is. Because that was first through his nature. But next it would be through, through his works. Because God creates and his works are testimonies towards who he is. And let me just say this, like, like, if somebody asks you who is God and to prove it, be okay as a Christian saying, I can't. I've got a lot of evidence. I got a lot of stuff that might be compelling. But I heard a, a, a evangelist say, any God that can be proven isn't a God worth worshiping. If I can prove to you right in this moment Okay, tell me, tell me what it'll be. Okay, pastor, ask God to come down and um, make a feast in this room. God, make a feast. Boom. Oh, so now your God can be controlled? Okay. What, what next? And, and what we do is create these scenarios by which we test God and God has to show up. See, our God doesn't work like that. The God of the Christian doesn't work like that. He gives, there's a ton of evidence biblical. There's a ton of evidence through experience. If you spend time talking to missionaries, you will hear that there are stories of people who've had experiences with bright light and a man walked close to them and began sharing things before the Bible arrived in that culture. Crazy experiences. We have all of that. But we cannot control God to give people tangible answers when and how they want it. Our God won't be confined in that way. So be okay with saying, why don't we both look at the evidence together? Why don't we both talk together for a little bit? You want to know who God is? Let me help you understand the God that I love and serve and show you some of the things I've come to know. But he can't be manipulated. But I believe he will respond. 
Because he says, knock and the door will be answered. Why? Because each of you needs to experience God in a different way to give you confirmation that he is real. That was a tangent. It wasn't supposed to go that long. All right. His works. His works. And so uh, there's a few verses, but I, I want to just give you a, uh, uh, some insight into his works because God doesn't separate who he is from the things that he does. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, we said he created the heavens and the earth. So part of the, the testimony to who God is, is his creation. I, I've, I'm not a person who is at odds with the beauty of science. I think science is an amazing tool that God uses to give us further understanding. But even scientists at some point admit that they are baffled. Big Bang Theory, Cool. I've had some interesting debates that I've listened to between how did all this start? Arguments among scientists who still say, but something had to trigger it. It, it, it had to come from somewhere. We've got a lot of evidence to show evolution and all these things, but, but something had to start it all. And it's been interesting to see even the world get baffled at times baffled at times. And I love that God says, you don't need to be baffled. Let me settle the score. You don't need to argue. I created it. Who made it? I did. How to start? Hit the start button. (laughs) And with our brilliant, intelligent minds that can put a man on the moon, somehow that's too simple for us. So I'm thankful that God makes something simple and says, I simply created the heavens and the earth as part of who I am, as part of my work I created. He also maintains and sustains the earth. Colossians 1.17 shows us that he draws people to himself. People are drawn to Christ. John 6.44 says, and then there's something that's bigger. There's an eternal plan at work that God is doing in the midst of all things. One of the, one of the things I, I, um, I learned from and I'm trying to grow in my pastoral approach is how to set vision. And I learned that from a previous pastor, Pastor Eric Russ. He was good at a number of different things, but one of the things he was really good at was casting vision. Many of us in this room are a part of this church because a vision was cast, a vision of of seeing a community transformed for the glory of God. A vision was cast for seeing our spiritual life go deeper through challenging one another, growing together with one another, fellowshipping with one another, sharpening one another. We had a vision for redemptive experiences, a vision for neighboring a vision for seeing this neighborhood thriving. And we're still committed to that vision. But what I've learned as I read the different writers and authors about vision is that vision doesn't really matter as much about the little details. What time does the meeting start? What location will it be? People don't get excited about that. People get excited about giving their lives to something bigger than themselves. 
That's vision. And Ephesians 1, chapter 11, gives us a vision that is bigger than ourselves. It says, in him we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. See, I get excited when I think about an inheritance that might be bigger than what I see today. And excited about an eternal glory that's bigger than what we see today. One of the best sermons I've ever heard preached within the Macav family came from J.D. when he did a sermon about peace and shalom. I get excited someday to think about peace that transcends heaven and earth. You see, that's bigger than any of us. And God is the one that is orchestrating that entire plan. And we get a chance to delight and be a part of it. Who is this God? A God that has an eternal rest in mind for all of humanity. And he hopes that you'll take him up on it. And so he his his works his, his continuing to keep this earth flourishing ultimately towards an eternal plan of redemption shows us who our God is. But lastly, we get a glimpse into his character. His character is, 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 is how I experience you, you know? You see somebody and they're, they have a spouse and you're like, oh man, they seem cute. Like, man, that dude's character is jacked up though. Start asking questions. Your brain starts going, bad character. What's that mean? Cheating on his taxes or robbing people? Like, what, what's bad? See, so your, your character is not, it, it's, it's how I get to experience you. And God lovingly demonstrates his character to us in a number of ways. God is just, allowing justice to flow forth with a good ending in mind Always, even though it may not be in the timing that we expect. God is holy. He's set apart. He's different. He is not like us and therefore conducts himself in ways that are pure and righteous. God is gracious and merciful. God abhors evil, though. Psalms 5.5 says the boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers, but God is also forgiving. Colossians 3.13 gives us a, a good glimpse into his forgiveness. And so while we have this God who is all present, all knowing, we get to see the work of his hands in creation. We also get to experience his character right up front in a gracious, loving, merciful God. But the last thing I want to leave you comes from, from Romans 5, 5.10. Because in all of these things, what God wants to do is say, who am I? Yes, I am all-knowing. I'm all-powerful. Yes, you get to see my creation Yes, you get a chance to experience my character, but you also have to accept it all. Romans 5.10 says this, For if we were enemies, 
we were reconciled to God by the death of his son so much. Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? What is God saying here? He's saying that in all of these things, if you want to know who I am, I will clearly lay it out. But at some point, simple knowledge of me is not enough. You have to accept me as I am and be reconciled to me. You want to experience this all-knowing God? You want to experience this all-powerful God? You want to experience this all-loving God? Then accept me then be reconciled to me, then then know me intimately. And my prayer is as we preach today, as I encourage you today, that you would leave having a greater understanding of who God is, the unique aspects of Christianity that are different than any other faith, but that it wouldn't be head knowledge, that it would actually be a heart experience of you being reconciled to God. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful that we get a chance to know who you are. Who you are, Father, matters to us because we want to be able to communicate the the uniqueness of you, the beauty of the Trinity, the beauty of your power because you are all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, all-good and perfect. Lord, we get to see the work of your hands and it, and it comforts us and convicts us. But Father, our prayer is that we would not simply have all these things be head knowledge, but that we would be convicted in our hearts and moved to know you, love you, and grow in you. That's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.